I'll look it up and see. I might have to go back and <laughs> So let's just call it. Should we call it Flow Nose number one? Yeah, may as well. Right, well, let's just talk. I mean, let's just talk about what are we going to do with – what do we want to do with Flow Nose? So my, my initial kind of thoughts were just kind of just pushing out some – some information and some kind of and things that help people take care of their themselves. So I guess yep. if we put it through our filter at Flow, we for us we're very kind of very proactive and very kind of around educating people and empowering people to kind of take care of themselves as opposed to them coming in and uh, being reliant and kind of having all these passive treatments. So we're very an active kind of. Uh, approach and I guess this kind of fits into it where we're just trying to give out some information around um, what's out there what the kind of research says and what people can do to kind of better themselves um, so what do you reckon what we just started yeah. yeah I think that sounds pretty good um, so ideally probably our like job is to help people help themselves like you said but just allow them and provide them with the tools to make themselves robust and to almost do everything they want to do without being kind of like held back whether it's like physically or health wise and things like that so hopefully if we carry on with this then we can cut through a little bit of what's out there too yeah for um, sure where there's so much information but the quality of all that information isn't always necessarily up to the same standard yeah and i guess like even today when we talk about this study i think one of the big things with like when you're looking at research or if you're on like social and you're on Instagram and stuff like that, you might see a title and you might see something that's like this study says, but a lot of people that haven't gone through, I guess, a science background or study and kind of know how to pick apart or analyse a study, you, you'd take it on face value. It's like you hear something on the news and you're like, oh, well, this study suggests and you're like, <laughs> what what do you mean like like you pull up the study and you kind of look at it and you kind of analyze and go well it's a shit out study like it's no good so why are we taking anything from it so i think one of the big things especially with everything that we do is remaining transparent with like what's the quality of the study and whatever kind of and granted my my research background is only from a university standpoint and nothing further um so for us, I think we have a basic knowledge of understanding what level of evidence, or we've got a, a decent understanding of what level of evidence a study kind of presents. Uh, but also you can put it through the tools and sort of look at uh, things like the Pedro scores and all of that and go, well, this tells us that this study isn't great or this, t this study is actually quite high level evidence and we can kind of take it for like a well-designed study and it's kind of what it's measuring, what it's concluding is actually probably of decent value. So I think for us, a, a lot of the information that we that we put out, we've got to make sure that we're transparent with like this study is okay, uh, but what does it mean? What it, What's its limitations and what's its strengths? Yeah, I'd agree. I think um, probably a lot of... A lot of health and what you hear in the media and even kind of studies, even this one in particular, um, there, there can be a little bit kind of like black and white to a degree where it's like X helps Y, um, where we know with, I suppose, people and health and everything um, that often it's a little bit more kind of like gray area. There's so yeah. many other variables that always play a role. So I suppose like the idea 
with some of the studies and the scientific processes to uh, account for some of those different variables, um, okay. which you can see with the different studies and then the different levels of those studies as well. Um, but I suppose probably the the big thing that sometimes often get missed gets missed is all of those other interrelating factors too. So yeah. often when you see like the same things over and over again, um, giving benefit in light of all those other variables, then um, they're typically the things that we put more weight on as well. 100%. So if we go back, we'll backtrack before we go and look at our first kind of study for this. Uh, Tell me, Craig, about you. So, kind of, if we give background on our kind of cells, <laughs> so put me on the spot. Put you on the spot. Um, I think it it it'll be good because we've we've been together now for in flow. Um, <laughs> um, so we've been together at flow for I'd say oh, October two thousand and eighteen. I think. So, yeah, I think so. So it's coming on this year will be two years in October. Two-year um, anniversary. Two-year anniversary. <laughs> um, tell me about kind of, so what's Craig Harris, who's Craig Harris? Tell or tell whoever's listening, maybe the two or three people that might listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up around the uh, Shire area. Um, so I grew up in Como and went to Janali High School. So I suppose slowly... Uh, working uh, closer and closer to where I originally grew up. Um, was always pretty active and was always playing sport and things like that um, when I was younger. Um, didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be a physio, um, even until I got to uni. Um, I remember for some reason when we were at school, one of our science teachers told us that uh, she was originally studying physio and they had to watch someone get their leg amputated. So I remember being at school knowing I wanted to get into health and fitness, but I think that for some reason, being a 17-year-old freaked me out. And I yeah. uh, thought, nah, I don't want to be a physio. I don't want to really see anyone get their leg taken off. Yeah. Um, but then got to uni, um, was doing exercise science to begin with, um, really got into kind of anatomy, physiology, how things work, um, I suppose why things go wrong as well, um, and liked the idea of probably the diagnostic side of physio. Um, yeah. So then tried to work my way over and uh, eventually found myself in a physio course. And um, then now I've been out for, I think this is my seventh year. Um, so had a few private practice jobs prior to this. So I was over at the Eastern suburbs and then uh, more recently at Padstow and then been in Sutherland um, for two years now. Um, so yeah, it's really right up my alley. Um, get to meet all different people coming in uh, off the street with various conditions and things like that. So keeps you on your toes and keeps you guessing. And then I think I've found kind of like my fit in Sutherland where you were speaking before about like that active approach. Um, ultimately, I like providing people um, with ways to help themselves um, or help themselves. Um, and yeah, it's really, uh, I enjoy it when you see someone originally and they may be struggling in different aspects and then you're able to kind of give them tools so that they can pretty much get to where they want to get to, um, do the things that they want to do and um, pretty much live the lives that they want to live. Um, so, yeah, that's what I suppose me so in where a nutshell. Where did you do your exercise science degree? Uh, I started off at New South Wales Uni. Yeah. Um, and then 
I decided that I wanted to do physiotherapy. Um, yeah. So then I transferred over to Sydney um, yeah. because that's where uh, Sydney was running a master's of physiotherapy at the time. So yeah. it seemed if you're already there from an internal perspective, then you could uh, transition into the master's. Um, oh, right, right, right. So you yeah. transferred from New South Wales into the exercise science in, at Sydney. Well, I actually transferred into health science. Um, ah, so right. I did my first year of exercise science at New South Wales, and then it was a four-year course. Yeah. Um, and they had a three-year health sciences course over at Sydney with like a, I think it was a um, the major in human movement, Yeah. Um, which then allowed you to get into the Masters of Physiotherapy, I suppose, that one year sooner. Yeah, right. Hmm. And then what sort of sports were you playing? Uh, um, mainly um, soccer and baseball growing up. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably my main two, but then I probably played everything else in between. Um, then more recently, um, tried to do a bit of surfing, but um, no means Kelly Slater. Um, <laughs> and a bit of jiu-jitsu as well, but uh, still a white belt, so this uh corona situation is probably <laughs> going to keep me there permanently how long have you been doing jiu-jitsu now uh i think it'll be three years this august yeah right yeah so getting there yeah it's a it's a journey mate like all things it's a it's a long journey those who yeah. stick at it exactly um yeah so i guess in saying that i and for again like i said the couple of people that listen to our our podcast and might get a bit of a background on us is that I'm I'm of the same kind of uh, I guess upbringing in in the university stuff. So I did my EP degree or my exercise. What was it called? It was a exercise science and rehabilitation degree. So it was a four year degree out of Wollongong at the time. And then after I got to the end of that, I really quite enjoyed it clinically and kind of like the. Um, going in depth into the pathophys of kind of different conditions and things. But then back then when I graduated, it was kind of an interesting time for EPs because they were kind of just coming on the scene and it wasn't really an established market. You either went into kind of uh, insurance jobs or rehab-based, kind of rehab-based roles, or you just kind of became a personal trainer basically. Um, or you became a personal trainer with your kind of degree that you've kind of studied. But that's my decision then was like, oh, what do I do? I've just had four years of uni. All my friends are out kind of earning money and going overseas and stuff and then eventually kind of just thought oh, I'm in the swing of it. I've kind of got another two years to do. If I get into the Masters of Physio, I'll just get it done. And I did the same thing. So I did the Masters at Sydney and then I uh, came out, did a couple of years in the hospital system, spent a, a nice summer out in Broken Hill. Uh, which I um, <laughs> quite enjoyed the hospital systems because I think it gave, it gives you a broad like gives you a broad general kind of uh, I guess experience across everything so neuro respiratory fears critical care uh, and then your rehab stuff as well and I, I think that sets you up quite well for those complex ones that come through the door and then I just I float around some practices in the Sutherland Shire and then uh, started flowing. 2017 and then here we are flow nose <laughs> <Send a crap. laughs> um so what are we looking at today so tell us what we're looking at Ray. um so a little study that we 
came across that isn't overly new. Um, I think it came out last year. Um, I think it caused a few kind of headlines when it came out and stuff. I think they had a lot of like a lot of the Twitter handles and news art media joints sort of jumped onto it pretty quick. Yeah. Um, when I looked back at it, um, I think what, you're right. What uh, what's the study? Uh, so it's titled "Association Between Push-Up." exercise capacity and future cardiovascular events among active adult men. Um, so in a nutshell, what the study was trying to, I suppose, look at and evaluate was the association between push-up capacity um, and then subsequent cardiovascular events um, or event incidents in a cohort of active adult men. So essentially what they, um, what they already know, cardiovascular disease is very common and leading cause of mortality worldwide. Um, so the idea was, is there, what they were trying to find, is there any quick test that can be conducted in an office environment that can potentially flag people for them to investigate things further? Yeah. Um, so they, it was a retrospective longitudinal cohort study. Um, essentially what that means is they take a number of participants. Um, in this case, it was middle-aged male firefighters um, who are active already um, and then follows them over a period of time um, and then looks at, I suppose, the association between X and Y. Yeah. Um, so Webb was speaking earlier about different study designs and things like this and things like that. If we look at the hierarchy of evidence, um, yeah. this sits lower down on that totem pole um, because it's, an association so it doesn't necessarily mean that there's causation um, but at the same time there were some interesting results with it that yeah, we keep in mind um, and then take on board and factor it in with all the other variables that can play a bit of a role too yeah so what uh what they do so they took about a thousand firefighters um and basically I guess that as part of their, their physical when they're because they're all at one clinic i think i read yeah. Um, they basically had some periodic, a baseline and some periodic sort of testing, which included push-up capacity. So yep. when they kind of re retrospectively looked at it, they kind of categorised like how many push-ups could they do and then what was the kind of cardiovascular disease, uh, I guess, or how many cardiovascular events occurred in that 10-year period. Um, and then they kind of went, well, what's the association between how many push-ups can you do and cardiovascular disease or yeah. cardiovascular events that happened in that 10-year period. So what did the what did the study find? Uh, so the findings were, so there was, I think there was 1,104 participants um, and they found a significant negative association between baseline push-up capacity and incident cardiovascular disease risk across 10 years of follow-up. Um, so they found that participants who were able to complete 40 more push-ups were associated with a significant reduction um, in the incidence of cardiovascular disease event risk um, compared with those completing fewer than 10. So what they were finding was the, the outliers on either side, either end, so those who could perform more than 40 and those who uh, could perform less than 10, they found there was a fairly significant difference between um, their risk of those events occurring. Yeah, um, 
there are a few limitations to this study, like we were talking before, where it's uh, an association study for one. Um, the second thing is the, I suppose, generalizability to other groups. Um, so we know that typically males will have more muscle bulk higher up and uh, amongst a few other factors and hormones and things like that, will typically be able to perform better on tests, similar to push-up tests. Yeah. Um, so whether it's applicable to females, um, the specific test. Was it all men? Possibly not. It was all it men. Was all men. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it was a quite specific subsection as well where they're all middle-aged men. So uh, I suppose relevance to as men get older and older and you get more muscle wasting, um, it would be interesting we expect a similar result, but they haven't necessarily um, tested that, so we can't say for sure. Um, yeah. Well, but I as guess, a general... I guess... Um, like I guess the strengths, uh, the strengths of it, I, it definitely kind of we look at the limitations of that. Is that one, the population? Usually when we look at population, does it fit the population that we're kind of applying it to? Um, so you got to be middle aged male and occupationally active, and these are firefighters, so they're usually pretty uh, fit as well. Are you still there? Yes. Can you yep. see me? I, I think your video has just stopped. Uh, that's right. Okay. We'll push forward the video. Uh, the audio is still there. Um, yeah. So there's that specific subset of like male occupationally active. So that's a like that's something that we just got to make sure that we don't, I guess, broad say that this is what study. So if you're female, uh, we don't know what the kind of results uh, would be if this was done on uh, females and if it had the same associations. We can't really. Um, generalize it to non-active people or older people or younger people um we've kind of got to limit it to that subset that they're kind of applying it to but a pretty good uh little quick test for uh to be able to perform definitely and it's um a pretty quick test um we know i suppose you and i um we see people in the clinic as well um and from a musculoskeletal point of view, um, this test would often provide us a fair bit of information about the musculoskeletal capacity. Um, so we have spoken before about people that we call thrivers and non-thrivers, and we speak about capacity a lot. So yeah. we tend to see the same type of thing in the clinic um, in regards to the musculoskeletal side of things, where if someone has got a greater capacity, they've got greater strength, they've got greater endurance, then they're, I suppose, much more robust from a musculoskeletal point yeah. of view. So we yeah. often see those people having pain complaints and um, different issues, um, often much less often um, than people who may be lacking in any of those areas. So it's interesting that there's also that uh, correlation um, with the cardiovascular health. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess uh, this we know from kind of studies uh, on like exercise and physical fitness that you're kind of uh, more like more inclined to kind of have less cardiovascular disease if you are, I guess, the fitter you are. Um, and again, I guess physical activity that we, when we, we always talk about the physical activity guidelines and whether or not people are kind of meeting them we know that just simply meeting some physical activity guidelines 
like your 150 minutes a week of kind of moderate intense activity, a couple of strength training sessions a week, that you could significantly reduce your kind of risk of cardiovascular mortality. Um, so one of the things that you're saying there that I was kind of um, just pricked my ears up is that kind of being able to kind of just have some basic functional tests to perform to go how, like what's my capacity or what's this person's capacity like and are they going to run into any trouble in day-to-day -day life if uh, if they don't have that capacity? Like a simple push-up test is something that I think we could use uh, and we do use in the clinic just to assess as a broad kind of range of tests, not just as a single uh, test to determine anything, um, what someone's overall kind of physical function and musculoskeletal health is like um, and quite easy. It doesn't require any equipment or anything like that. So quite... Um, quite useful. Mm. I definitely agree. So there's a few other measures that can often, I suppose, provide us similar information as well, often related to kind of like big movements. So things like, uh, I think there's been one or two other studies that are like are in a similar vein to this. Um, there's another study that involves people pretty much setting themselves up on the ground and then rising up to standing. Um, yeah. And that, isn't necessarily uh, correlated to cardiovascular disease events, but um, I think they linked that to all-cause mortality in the next couple of years. Um, mm. So that was an interesting one. And then I think there's been a few studies over the years that have correlated grip strength as well. Um, and grip strength often correlates to, I suppose, total, total body um, strength, um, but they've also linked that or diminishing strength um, with greater chance of all-cause mortality in the, the next couple of years too. So uh, it is interesting that we see these correlations or links between great physical capacity um, and then our chance of things going wrong. Obviously, there's a number of things that can influence things. So these sometimes correlations work on a uh, a group level, but not an individual level. So say you've got a sore shoulder, unable to do push-ups at the time. For you individually, that probably doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to suddenly die of a heart attack any soon, anytime soon. Um, yeah. But when we see it at the population level, you do tend to see uh, some of these links occurring. Definitely. Um, so I think it's, it's, a, it's one that we can kind of, I guess, look at and utilize a little bit more with that kind of coral like that association with cardiovascular disease risk in those kind of mid-age males active males um and using it as a kind of a, in a barrage of testing like you said my that kind of brings me to the question how many push-ups can you do might have to test that out at <laughs> some stage <laughs> i think that's the next thing I, I will have to do this test after this to uh, see how I how I compare. You have to film it. What about you? <laughs> well, I think after I read this, uh, I don't know. I must have been the read it a second time. Like it was just before Chrissy, and I was like, ah, you know what? We were talking about like keeping things simple. Like again, yeah. probably something for another another time. Maybe next week's sort of chat um, is how we can overcomplicate or the whole industry of health and fitness and like 
you kind of look at all these different like strength training kind of people telling you different things and different modalities and different equipment pieces and all of this crap that comes out to just sell you something. Uh, on that along that line, late last year, I was like, fire out. Wonder how many push-ups I can do after reading this, and it was something really <laughs> terrible. And uh, I I started in December last year, early December, and I think I my aim was to just get to that forty because of the study. <laughs> and it's like yeah. it's like all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, if I can get to forty, and like that correlates with or it's associated with like age matched active males having less. CBD in that 10 year follow up. And I was kind of like, well, if I can get there, then at least I'm ticking a box. And I, I guess that's kind of what we don't want. It's not, it, there's a lot of other factors that go into cardiovascular disease. But it took me a while to get there. But keeping something simple and actually just doing some like grease the groove type uh, uh, training where you're just kind of doing some, uh, some pretty repeated exposure across the day, I got to about 40 sets of 40 and then i think COVID hit when did what oh it must have been the bushfires or i did it i sustained it for a while and then i think COVID hit and we'll have to test again and see where i'm at so maybe we can <laughs> well i think there's probably for a post i think that uh could be on the cards for later today <laughs> um what was the protocol yeah. there's the metronome uh, wasn't it I think so. So they have to have a way of standardizing it. So usually the um, the uh, tempo is standardized um, with a metronome. And then also um, if you can standardize the depth as well, so that we don't see people, someone doing, say, quarter push-ups and someone saying full depth, um, yeah. we need to kind of compare like with like. But um, yeah. probably a few things that you said I think that were pretty interesting too, um, where you said about you kind of like worked up because of the study. And you're saying that's not probably the, the aim of it. But at the yeah. same time, like sometimes that's not a bad thing. Like if you do get, get something that may get you kind of going a little bit competitively and the end result is you're kind of getting better at something, then possibly not a bad thing. Yeah, it's like true. A, a, again, it's just a little motivational thing, I think. And if you're aware of yeah. it, if you've kind of, if you've made yep. aware of it, it's like, well, this is what I'm measuring, like, I'm going to start studying for that test. And I was listening to a BJSM podcast that kind of just talked about this study and he was like, the guy on it was like, yeah, it kind of falsifies a little bit if you're just studying for that test and it doesn't mean yeah. all of a sudden you can do 40 push-ups and your, your cardiovascular disease risk has dropped because you've got to think of all those other lifestyle factors and things that might go into, into um, cardiovascular disease. But... It's interesting along that line. I remember I did my, I, I had, when we were, I was training late last year and I did my medial, like a low grade medial and Zach was kind of um, testing my my knee and we kind of have our, our baseline preparedness measures for like our, our single leg sit to stand and um, our single bridge. And when I was doing my single stand test, I was like, nah, like, such a mental kind of thing it was just like i'm not getting below 40 so i just yeah. i just kept going until 40 and it's amazing wherever you set that ceiling or wherever you set that goal you can get there it's just kind of like how 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 much do you want it you know what i mean so <laughs> yeah it's just funny that i think um one our approach like 
again, filtering it through us and what we do at Flow, it's kind of like keep it simple, put the ball in the person's court, give them all the education, give them everything that they kind of need to then go and go, all right, how can I live the best life possible? How can I be functionally and physically ready for anything that life's going to throw at me so I don't crumble and kind of have these issues that we often see come up just because people aren't physically robust or they've, they've kind of got them into a situation where they haven't been being physically active and then all of a sudden things start going a bit wrong and you kind of see that whole kind of perfect storm of stress and, stress and um, lack of movement, shitty sleep and um, just a real kind of, uh, I guess, combination of things that then that then kind of unfold to kind of get them into the clinic and they're like, man, my neck hurts. And you're like, all right, we've got to start. We've got to start at your pillars. How are you sleeping? How are you managing stress? Are you moving? What are you eating like? It's kind of not just rub my neck. Yeah, I'd uh, agree entirely. Like it's always, I suppose, from a training and from a health point of view, it's always consistency over time. And then yeah. that's what leads to our results or potentially the opposite if it's kind of negative, really struggling with sleep or uh, not being physically active sooner or later, those type of things can have an effect as well. And like you said, it may accumulate in someone's neck becoming overloaded, but it may be sitting on the foundation of uh, everything else spiraling out of control. So I think uh, like you were saying, if we can pretty much provide everyone with the information to then start, I suppose, that trajectory where they're then working consistently on all things that are uh, going to build them up and allow things to feel better, allow them to perform better um, and essentially, like, enhance things, then yeah. that's that's the trajectory we want to be taking with things. And so sometimes it's, like, good to check in and have, like, a reflection and go, okay, how, how am I doing all of those things myself? Um, and then also then we work with people to try to allow other people to do that as well definitely i think it's it's one thing that you kind of go especially when you spent time in private in the private practice world that so much of our job is not like i think the old school patho kind of anatomical like just press and guess kind of style of physiotherapy is uh uh we, we're finding out it's just it's just not what people need there's no kind of like as much as it can help in a short term potentially for the right person it's just not where what people need they really need those kind of big bang for your buck things like education exercise sleeping like sleeping well getting the right nutrition getting their lifestyle right because otherwise you're just in this kind of cycle of dependence and the idea is that you break that dependence and get people uh, empowered enough to kind of manage things and understand that, hey, if I've been running on four hours sleep for the last sort of week and now all of a sudden I've got a headache, maybe it's not kind of stemming from my C2 vertebrae because it's a bit jammed up or whatever and now my upper cervical muscles are all sort of stiff and tight. Maybe I just need to get some rest, allow my body enough time to recover and adapt from the stresses of life get moving so the joints and the muscles and every system in the body is thriving because I'm moving and then feed it well and kind of just have that as your baseline kind of pillar of 
life and then maybe start thinking, all right, I've taken care of all those things. Now I need to get my kind of my joints mobilized by someone. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. And yeah, it is interesting. And it's pretty spot on as well. Like if you if things are going badly and you take care of the base basics or the pillars, then often you see like things start to improve. And exactly. then vice versa. Because like we've probably both seen over our careers like different people who come in that have unfortunately had different uh i suppose experiences with the healthcare system and sometimes like bounced around a little bit and even people having sometimes unfortunately going undergoing surgeries for things that may have actually been uh helped by just taking care of those basics so sometimes from our end we really try to take a proactive approach with anyone who comes through our doors because yeah sometimes it can be kind of heartbreaking or frustrating if you do see someone who's come in and they've had like a six or seven year history of these type of troubles and looking back admittedly uh from a health perspective things change pretty rapidly over a number of years so different protocols and things like that but it can be uh sometimes tough when you see someone who comes in who you just wonder what would happen if they'd come through the doors initially and you'd address those things uh with them yeah would they have then had that same six to seven year experience that unfortunately they've had so um if we can just like be on the ball from the get-go and speak about some of those things and educate people and provide them the tools then yeah that's well, our the, ultimate really the the flow on effect is so like it is astronomical in terms of like if you can and it, it then comes down to like population health public health stuff but like if if you can get someone that's kind of looking after themselves well and they kind of look after those pillars like we were talking about then all of a sudden like absenteeism is down from their work and they're more productive like there's less cost to the healthcare system they're more creative, whatever, like whatever you kind of, whatever lens you put on it, whether it's economical or if it's um, like whatever way you kind of, you, you look at that flow on effect of the population being healthy, it's a good thing. Like it's all good. And if we're thriving, our kind of, our, if we're thriving in this environment, if we're thriving as a population, then our economy and everything is kind of thriving if we're all healthy. So that's why I think for us it's, an, it's all about helping people on, like in our tagline is helping people on their journey to better health. And it comes from exactly like you said, that first time we meet someone, it's about, hey, we're going to do all the things like we, we need to do to assess and kind of figure out what's going on. But in the most cases, bar any red flags and kind of serious pathology and stuff that might come through the door, your body's a robust kind of you're you're a robust being like your body is robust it's not this fragile thing so i think that's our job and i think from that we've i know you've got someone in a couple of minutes so let's um let's kick off with a couple of things i'm sure we could look this back and kind of look at what the next one is that we do some some other kind of studies or whatever that might frame it but let's um let's see how that goes and then uh, go to our next one next week. Sounds good. All right, mate. Sounds like a good plan. I'll, um, I'll catch you soon. I'll be up there soon. Sounds good. I'll see you later. Okay, go. Bye.